So if you have your Bibles, let's um, start today in Daniel 2. Uh, I want to start today for the next couple of weeks, and I want to talk about the kingdom of God again. I want to just kind of review this again. I know we've talked about this a lot the past seven years we've been here. Um, but I feel it's just one of we need to revisit again. Um, you know, you think about when, when John shows up, his message is repent for the kingdoms that God is at hand. Jesus shows up, his message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Paul shows up, and his message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It even says in Acts 28 that Paul rents a house for two years, and he teaches the kingdom of God. And so that is the message that John preached, Jesus taught, preached, Paul talked about. So I think it's really relevant that we have a really correct understanding of that message, what it is, what it is not. And I, uh, so I want to maybe just, the next few weeks, just maybe give some insight into that. Uh, before I begin, though, in Daniel 2, I want to read a verse out of Psalms this morning to kind of tie in my thought. And in Psalm 33, verse 11, it says this. It says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. God's heart is from generation to generation. Really, his heart is that generations would run together. That what God starts in one generation the next one would actually pick it up. It really is interesting, not that Lee and I are, have a huge age difference. It's all said, man. It's all said, man. But a lot of what I'm running into now is just I'm thinking his vision. You know, Lee for years said three things, Ephesia, Koinonia, fathering. Well, we have the community nights, which really picks up on Koinonia. We have the equipping nights, which is going to really pick up on fathering and influence. So really, all I've really done is taken Lee's vision, and I'm just taking it further. And that's God's heart. It, you know, the scripture says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Elisha pits up the mantle of Elijah. Um, Joshua pits up the mantle of Moses. Paul raises up sons, like Timothy, who carries on the mantle. And so, with the kingdom, it's, it's never something that we rebuild. You've heard the old saying, you don't, need, you don't need to rebuild the wheel. Just pick up on it. And so, I want to just maybe lay out this thought, because... I think one of the things that's happening in the church is this thought about narcissism. You know what that word means? It's all about me. I don't know if we mean to be narcissistic, and I'm not saying maybe anybody here particular, but if you look at maybe the church as a whole, well, what can you do for me? What, what can you give me? What can you do to make my life better? And we remove the gospel from being Christ-centered or crystal centric to 
myself or how to improve my life. And when we do that, we actually forfeit God's original intent in the earth for our own selfish desires. And when we do that, what God wants to do in the region is not accomplished at that moment because we have not been Christ-focused, we've been self-focused. Okay? Does that make sense? And, and I said last week, I talked a little bit last week about New York and what happened in uh, New York and how that the governor signed that, that God, that hideous law into uh, that you can abort a baby up until due date. And, and I put the blame where the blame goes. The blame is not the governor. The blame is the church. Paul says, again, I want to maybe revisit some thoughts from last week, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So our enemy has never been humanity. It will never be humanity. Yes, humanity may do things to us, but at the end of the day, we know our enemy is the devil and his kingdom. And I'm convinced what happens in New York or what happens in other places is because the church vacates its role in society. That, that is why Jesus brought the kingdom. It was the king's domain. It was the domain of the kingdom to come into a place and to make uh, the earth look like heaven. It's the verse we know very well. Pray after this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. So the heart of Jesus was that, was that the earth would look like heaven. That, that was God's original intent with Adam and Eve in the garden. That they would take the place of land they were given in Eden, and through being faithful to the command of God, they would subdue the earth, be fruitful and multiply, and take that kingdom out into the four corners of the earth. So the message, the ministry we have is repent for the kingdoms at hand. Now, today I'm going to do something that I have, I've hit around at a, a little bit in this church. And I've got strange looks. And people have asked Lee about, does, does Paul really believe that? And um, I want to do a little bit today with eschatology, just for a little bit. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, okay? Because I'm getting ahead of myself right now. Let's just start in Daniel 2. Now, let me just slow down. Because I, I got a lot I want to say about this. And I really want you to hear my heart. And, and don't shut me out because you don't maybe hear the word I'm about to say. So just be patient with me. Be patient with Grasshopper. Daniel 2. Pick up in verse 31. Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream, and he's brought in Daniel, and Daniel tells him the dream. Verse 31, you, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, 
It's the partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and of clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the winds carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now he's beginning to tell you what this dream means. Verse 36. This was a dream, and now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hands and caused them, uh, caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Now, that speaks of the kingdom of Babylon. And after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And then you saw the feet and toes partly of parched clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it as the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you have saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so some of the kingdom will be strong and some will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Now, again, so the head of gold represents the king of Babylon. The breast and the arms of silver represents the Medo-Persian kingdom. The belly and the thighs of bronze represents the kingdom of Greece. And the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay represent the kingdom of Rome. Okay? Why is that important? Because when Jesus shows up, who was ruling at the time? Rome is the ruling party. Now, I know some theologians, or no, no, I don't say theologians, some Bible prophecy teachers like to take the les and the feet and separate them out. I don't believe that's what Daniel's doing here. I'll be this one thing. Oh, I don't want to get too much into this. God help me. <laughs> There's things I do not want to get into today. Let's just remember this. When he shows up, Rome is the ruling party. And he says that this stone struck the statue and became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. Verse 44. And that day the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So what happens? The kingdom, guys, is not coming. The kingdom is here now. And I think what, what happens with us at times, especially the way I was raised, the church I was raised in, you never understood kingdom. You were never taught kingdom. You were taught you're a sinner saved by grace. 
Pray to God you get me out of her life. Pray that, pray that God would, would come and rescue you out. Is that, is that pretty much it, Mark? I mean, different churches, but both Baptist. That was the message. Hang on. It's going to get really bad. It's going to get really dark. You have no victory. Well, I, I was singing that song, I'll Fly Away, which, God, I absolutely hate that song. Because of the lines, just a few more weary days, and then I'll fly away. Like a prisoner that's been set free. There was so much bad things in that song that we sung every Sunday at Elvester. Bless God, we're going to fly away. Because we just, just got just a few more weary days. Really? Because when I read the book of Acts, yeah, was there trouble? Yeah, they endured tremendous persecution. Yet it says that they counted it with joy that they were worthy to suffer for the shame of his name. That is so different than the church I grew up in. Says, Brother, you just got to hang on because you don't have any power. You don't have any victory. Like every time we had a testimony service, it was depressing. It was like there was never any hope. And listen, if you like I Fly Away, good for you. I'm glad you like it. I'm just telling you, I can't stand it. I hate it. I'm just, listen, this is Paul. Paul is very honest. Listen, if you like it, I want you to like it. I don't want you to be my carbon copy. I want you to be you. Okay? This is part of developing a culture of honor in the house where we can agree to disagree. Okay? See, I, I know that Sean probably doesn't really agree with my end-time view here, and that's okay because I value Sean, and I respect Sean. So I don't, I don't, I don't grind and act with that. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I, listen, I've been in churches where, you know, it's like, if you don't see my way, we can't get along. You know, I, I meet a lot of leaders, and there's two questions I never ask leaders. The first question I never ask is, is, is how big is your church? Because I could care less how big your church is. The second question I never ask is this is like, what's your end time view? Because your end time view doesn't dictate whether or not I can run with you. You, you give me people who are optimistic, who are full of hope, full of faith. Baby, you can believe in the Antichrist and the rapture and the mark of the beast. And baby, if you're that way, if you're optimistic, we can run together. Because your, your belief system does not dictate how I respond to you. Your passion for Jesus, your love for Jesus, dictates how I respond to you. That, you know, listen, here's the thing with eschatology. It's not that important. What do I mean by that? It doesn't determine if you go to heaven or hell. It has no bearing on salvation. Notice, if Paul says, Jesus is not Lord, you need to run out of church. That's heresy. If I say, the blood is unimportant, that's heresy. You need to run out of church. But because I have a viewpoint that may be different from your viewpoint, that's not a reason to get upset and leave. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. And so I have a hard time when I read verse 44 here saying this kingdom comes. Jesus shows and begins to preach. And this kingdom grows and it grows and it grows. And all of a sudden one day, because the church hasn't done its job, I'm going to have to come rescue you out and put you on hold for seven years. 
I, I can't find that in that verse. Listen. <sighs> let me just let me just go. <laughs> you need to understand this about me. What I just saying. I didn't grow up believing this way. I used to love teaching rapture theology. Anytime Perry Stone came to Aniana in the late 90s, I was always there. Because I knew at some point, at one night, Perry Stone was going to teach them the rapture. I was like, yes. And Perry's going to give you prophetic insight about who the Antichrist is going to be. And I loved it. I lived for this teaching. I loved this teaching. Because I was so ready to escape. I mean, I told you the story. I'm 20 years old. I call an investor to begin to invest money into a mutual fund. And one of the guys I loved back in the day, and please don't hate me, I loved Jack Van Impey. Jack Van Impey, who was the walking Bible. And Jack Van Impey, every Wednesday night, had a 30-minute special where him and his wife were at Stella. We'll talk about end-time events. And Stella would read all the major headlines in different newspapers, and Jack, who was a walking Bible, who I think at that time, he was in his 70s or 80s, could quote over 14,000 scriptures verbatim. Now, he was a walking Bible. And Jack would begin to take these headlines from Rezella, and man, he would throw something like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Obadiah and Nahum. And I'm thinking, whoa. And at that time, this was in 1997, the EU was really big. And it's interesting that in that in the 90s, the big thought about the return of Christ and the rapture, uh, the, the Antichrist was going to come out of the EU, the European Union. But now, what's it now? It's now Islam. Because this prophetic word who said this, this, and this, didn't have come to pass. So now let's change the prophecy to Islam. And that's one of the issues I have with anti preachers is that when the prophecy didn't happen the way we thought it happened, well, now it's going to be Islam. Well, what's going to happen in 30 years when Islam hasn't done anything about this? It's going to be the Hindu or the Buddhist. Listen, I used to love John Hagee. I mean, God, if John Hagee had wrote about blood moves back then, I would have bought them all. So I live this. So I watched Jet Van Nippy, and I said, going home. Next day, I had a meeting with my investor guy. And like a fool, I said to him, I have wasted your time. We will be gone in less than six years. That was 1997. It's been 22 years. And I, I sat down the other day, and I figured out the amount of money I was going to invest every month. And I thought, oh, God, that would have been a lot of money for me to have right now. What happened? My eschatology dictated how I responded to how I lived life. Okay? 22 years. You take, this is just like 100 bucks a month for 22 years at a good interest rate. That's not chump change. But because I was so convinced that instead of getting in the scripture myself and seeing if these things were true, I took his word and said, I'll fly away in the morning. I'll fly away. 
And I assure you that in the morning, unless you die tonight, you will be here in the morning. So I taught this, and I lived it. And I, and I wanted this to happen. And I, and I think, how many churches have vacated their assignment in the earth because they have allowed eschatology that they have actually not studied for themselves. But they've heard a person say this and say that, and instead of being a good Berean, what is that? It's Paul, it says that Paul taught these things, and it says those in Berea took what Paul said and actually examined to see if it was so. You don't need to take anything I say for face value. You need to take everything I say or Lee says or anybody's in the poll, and you need to check it out in the scripture. That's why the Bible says test the spirits. That's why the Bible says judge prophecy. Because if we don't test those things, we don't judge those things, then we'll hear something and it sounds really good, but it actually will make us forfeit our assignment. Okay? So how about this? How about we agree on this? That we have a core value that, that Jesus is coming again. Listen, the teaching of the rapture and the second coming are not the same thing. Okay? They're not. People think they are. They're not. So when people, when people hear me say, I say, I don't believe in the rapture, they say, you don't believe he's coming? No. He's coming. How do you know that? Because Acts 1 says that. Acts 1. Let me just read you the scripture for you. Acts 1 verse 9. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as, he, as you watched him go into heaven. So listen, Paul believes he is coming back. Jesus is coming back. So don't ever think that my view of the rapture does not mean he's not coming back. He's coming back. Why? The scripture says so. Okay? Second thought I'm going to give you, like I said, we'll go, is I don't, I don't need you to believe this way. I don't. I don't need you to believe, well, Paul don't believe in this. So I don't, I, listen, I want you. Well, I said, okay, let, me, let me read it. This is really important, guys. I don't want you to be a puppet. I don't want you to be a regurgitation of somebody's book or podcast or tape series or TV channel. I want your belief to be established because you get in the Word. I've always said this, and I mean this. I don't care what you believe. I do care why you believe it, though. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit because of what somebody said about the Holy Spirit or because you had your own personal encounter with the Holy Spirit? And I think a lot of times maybe what, what um, instills belief in us is because of what somebody else is saying. I cannot encourage us enough to be the people of Acts 17 to get in the Word and search out these things. So I think me. I had to, you know, you ever had, I'm really careful when I say this. 
I, I really care when I say God spoke to me because that's just waiting when you say God spoke to you, okay? But I, I can remember where I'm at. I'm at my work. I was, I was working downtown, Fifth Avenue North and 20th Street, and I was getting ready a board for a trial exhibit. I was cutting it. It was December 2010. And I believe, notice what I believe, the Lord spoke to me. And he said out of the blue, if Adam and Eve had never sinned, would they need to be ruptured out? I'm thinking, uh, I don't know. I mean, honestly, that's what I felt he asked me. And he said, okay, if Jesus restored everything that Adam and Eve lost in the garden, why do you need to be ruptured out then? Uh, it sounds good, God. I don't know. And that put me on a search to really take what I had been investing in 15 years of, man, we're going to get taken out. The Antichrist is coming. We're going to fly away. This place is going to be, this place is going to hell in a hole. It's going to be awful. Nuclear wars. It's going to be, it made me actually begin to examine what Jesus said about the kingdom of God is at hand. And that this kingdom will never end. Turn, take your Bibles and let's go to Matthew 24. <laughs> oh man, I, I really don't want to go this deep into this today, but you know what, I just, can, can I just be honest with you guys? I, I really struggled with this yesterday. Why don't you struggle? Because this is the kind of stuff you can teach people and they'll get mad and they'll leave. If I'm honest, it's not about numbers, okay? It, it isn't, but if, I believe great leaders are just really transparent. And don't try to make them look like they're not, okay? So one of the things I want us to be as a house is I want us to be really transparent with one another. So if, if I want you to be transparent with each other, that means I need, to be, I need to be transparent with you. And I thought, man, you know, if you share this, man, do you... Some people might get, they might not like this. They might just say, you're a heretic. And they might say, I'm gone. But then the other side of that is this, is like, if the Lord puts on your heart, are you more worried about the people leaving or being disobedient to the Lord? You don't win in that situation. Because <laughs> if I please you, I've disobeyed the Lord. And if I obey the Lord, then you might leave. So this is, this is a, you know, this is just dicey for me. And you know what you said? And last night, the Lord just gave me peace at finally about 9.30 at night. So we're going to just dive into Matthew 24 for just a minute. Matthew 24 is, a, is an interesting chapter. It's a chapter that a lot of people use uh, to support uh, rapture. Uh, I believe that the majority of this text actually was fulfilled in AD 70. If you look at verse 1 and 2, just to give you some backdrop... Jesus came out of the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to the point and point out the temple building of it to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, he says, they say, tell us, when will these things happen? What things? Well, if you go back and read verse chapter 23, 
he found out that this is where Jesus pronounces judgment on Jerusalem. These woes. Woe to you. Woe to this. Woe to that. And so we have here this thought of this. Now, the reason I'm saying that is for this reason right here. Eusebius, who lived between 216 and 399, John Wesley, 1703 to 1791, John Chrysostom, 349 to 47, Spurgeon, 1834 to 1892, Lightfoot, 1602 to 1675, Doddridge, 1702 to 1751, Newton, 1704 to 82, Calvin, 1509. These all taught that this passage was fulfilled in AD 70. You will not find any commentators before 1880 who taught that Matthew 24 was to be fulfilled in the future. Every commentator taught this was fulfilled in AD 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed. See, and I don't, I hold this view with a grain of salt, but really what made the rapture teaching popular was a guy by the name of John Darby. John Darby received the relation of the rapture in the 1800s, 1880s, and it really never took uh, popularity until he met a preacher by the name of Reverend C.I. Schofield. Now in, the King James, now, in the church I grew up in, King James only, and always a Schofield Bible. Had to have you Schofield, and his notes of this chapter, Daniel 2, Daniel 9, other, uh, Ezekiel 38, 39, Revelation, was always this post-apocalyptic, end-time events, and he would Definitely disagree with this. But it's interesting, like I said a while ago, that no commentators before that ever said that. I think we need to give that a little bit of weight as well, just a little bit. Um, and there's some verses we can look at right here. Uh, let's look at verse 14, because this is a big objection to this. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. Well, Paul, this can't be fulfilled in 1870 because the gospel hadn't went into all the world. That's a good point. Here's the issue with that. The issue is we need to really study the Greek language. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world, he uses the Greek word cosmos. Mark 16, go into all the world, cosmos, and preach the gospel. However, in this passage, the word here for world is not cosmos. It is the Greek word, and don't laugh when I pronounce this to you. It is the Greek word okamene. And it means a specific piece of land. Hence, the Roman Empire. So he's saying that this gospel will be preaching to all the Roman Empire. Is when you look at the, the Greek word there. It makes sense as well. Verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountain. Whoever's on the housetop must not go down to get things that are in this house. Whoever's in the field must not turn back to get his coat. Now listen, you realize the temple does not stand. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, what was that? 
That was when the Antichrist would go into the temple and proclaim him to be God. Well, that actually happens in 70 AD. One of the Roman generals goes in there and says, I am God. Listen, unless the temple gets rebuilt, which, by the way, there's not any prophetic thing in Scripture about the temple being rebuilt, the closest thing you can find is Amos 9. I will come again and I will rebuild the house of David. Which you find out is actually fulfilled in Acts 15. So I, I can't find anywhere in Scripture where the tabernacle, where the temple is going to be rebuilt. Listen, and, and you know, I know that they have the Temple Institute there, they have all the pieces. Listen, I was in, I was in Israel in 2000. At the Temple Institute, I saw the manure, I saw the stuff they use in the temple. But guys, unless that temple is somehow rebuilt, now listen, if that trumpet sounds today and we go up, you can say, you're wrong, Paul, you're stupid, you're foolish. It's all good. I'm just saying this. I don't want to let our viewpoints of an end time event make us, make us give up what we've been doing. I, I mean, let's just, let's just drop on down because there's so much I can say about this right here that's really, really important. But, you know, one, one of the things that Lee said, and I'll move on from this, that Lee said that's really important is what? Context. Jesus in John 14, 12 says, He that believes on me, the works I do, you'll do also. While he's talking to his apostles, his disciples, the context of that is he that believes. Okay? Mark 16, he that believes on me, the works I, uh, they will lay hands on the sick. Again, he's got his apostles, his disciples, but again, the context is that he that believes. We have to be really careful in Matthew 24 about making this apply to us. Because he says, when you see, by the way, it's also interesting. He says this in verse 34, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He tells them, this generation. And here's another thought. God Almighty, I should, I should, know, I should have just left this all alone. I should have just left this all alone. We, we, have to be, we have to be really careful making the Bible all literal. Don't be the Bible's literal? Yes, at times I do. But if we make every scripture literal, then that means that God will only own the cattle on a thousand hills. Because it says in Psalms, it says in Psalms that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, if I make every scripture literal, then that means that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If, if, we, if we read books like um, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, those are allegories, prophetic pictures. That's going to be the challenge for us. That's why we have to have the Holy Spirit to lead us in this thing. Okay? Just uh, let me give you one more verse and I'll move on. One more verse and we'll move on because I, 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 yeah. Look at this. Verse 38. Verse, verse 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For just as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. What's the point here, Paul? Here's the thing. Who was taken? Noah or the unrighteous? 
Noah was left behind. It was Noah who was left behind. The unrighteous was taken away. Just like Matthew 13, the wheat and the tares. We discussed that back in the summertime. Of how that he sent his angel to gather the ungodly out of his kingdom. Not the righteous. He came and got the wicked. So here, the test. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when he comes. There will be two men in the field. Well, if Noah was left behind and he was righteous, then the two men in the field, guess who's left behind? The righteous. That's biblically sound hermeneutics right there. You can't make verse 40 differentiate between verse 39. If Noah the righteous was left behind, then the ones left behind in 40 and 41 is the righteous. I'm saying this. If you're looking to escape, quit looking to escape. That's all I want to say to you. If you want to believe he's coming in a rapture, I'm cool with that. But don't, don't let a teaching make you forfeit your responsibility in the earth. <laughs> okay. Just, you know, this is such a, this is such a massive removal. I'm, I'm, really, I'm not worried about you guys leaving. I'm not worried about you getting mad. I'm just, you want to present this biblically sound. That's my biggest challenge is like, did I present this biblically sound? Listen, because there's, there's a lot of things we can discuss. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I don't understand Armageddon. I don't understand the two witnesses. There are things in the book of Revelation that I still struggle with. But when Jesus, I always hate Jesus over anybody. And when Jesus says what he just says here, then Jesus is going to trump what John writes in Revelation. It's not that John is not important, but I'm just thinking what Jesus says here. I'm like, okay, you know what, man? I, I, have, I can't get around that one. <laughs> I can't get around that one, man. I, I don't want to be a broken record because I honestly do. One, one of the things I really hate is I just hate redundancy. I hate saying the same thing over and over. But I, I just really wonder what the church would look like if we had really put more focus on the kingdom itself than getting sucked out of here. I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, again, my, my, my surrounding as a child was, you know, I remember as a kid finding a bit about how is he. And then, you know, you see the movies like Left Behind or the one in the 70s, and it's like, oh, this God Almighty, I mean, it's like scared to death. And then, you know, how is he? 88 reasons the Lord's going to come back in 88. It's like, no wonder the, ch the church looks so foolish. Because we're writing about blood moons and schmitmas, and we just look stupid. Uh, anyway, let's just, let's just stand. But you know what? I want it to be biblically sound. I do. I don't claim to be a scholar by no means. Um, but I also want to make sure we tackle tough passages. Why? So we can... Be faithful sons and daughters. I, mean, I do that, I think, back 22 years. They made some nice money. And yet I wonder, what are the things we put our heart upon that's not really important? I want us to understand that we're missionaries. 
that he sent us from, he, he sent us from, from heaven to earth to be missionaries. And he says, occupy till I come. He is coming. I want you to understand that. He, he is coming. But I'm going to be honest. I don't think he's coming for a long time. Because my Bible says he's coming for a bride who is without spot or without wrinkle. Bride full of power. And I just don't know if the church is really there yet. I don't know if the church is really without spot or wrinkle. There's a, there's a lot of um, a lot of things in the church that just is really concerning. You know, I, I, don't watch Christian, I don't watch Christian television at all anymore. I used to love Christian television, and I'm flipping channels like Thursday night, and I got so disgusted by it. Send in your $169 seed right now, and then God will bless you tomorrow. Oh, God help us, man. So much manipulation. So much control. And I think one of the things people make money on with the church is the end time theology. I think there's a lot of rich preachers out there using writing books about blood moving, and people are buying it up. I don't believe things are getting worse in the earth. I think things are actually getting better. Paul, how can you say that? Because I believe that what he does is always for the good. I mean, listen, here's the thing. I, I don't watch the news. I don't know why people record the news. Angel my phone. I just don't get that. But you know what happened yesterday on the news? There was probably, I bet, conservative, probably 30,000 airplanes that landed safely. And you didn't hear about that. But if I got one crashed, plane crashes today. The media and the news is so fear-based. You don't never hear about the good things hardly in the news. It's always the bad things. And man, that's why I just stay away from the news. And yet, how much of the church is actually preaching a victorious message? Man, that he wants to empower you. He wants to fill you with life. He wants to fill you with fire. He wants to fill you with personal devotion to himself. Yeah, yeah. you know, honestly, I, I had this thought the other day. You can just sit down because I feel a little summer coming on. I'm just kidding. You stand up. You know, I feel, I felt, I have, God is not interested in what happens to you. He's not. He is more concerned with you fulfilling the call in your life than he is in what happens in, if you, in you fulfilling that call. Guys, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to die for this thing. But go and preach the gospel. What helped me really begin to embrace the kingdom message and actually start walking it out was when I got my eschatology dealt with and it says, you know what? If he comes, he comes. If he comes tomorrow, if he comes in a thousand years, his heart is for me to take his plan and to walk with it and to think in generations. And I think what happens with bad eschatology is, is it robs us from thinking in generations. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man. Two generations. He's thinking about. So what would the church begin to look like if we actually gave ourselves permission to think in generations? Instead of thinking about my needs and myself, we thought of the kids in that trailer. 
And knowing we didn't think about those kids in that trailer, we thought of their kids who won't be here for at least another 20, 25 years. What if a church began to dream like that? I hope to see Abner's grandsons. I, I ask God, God, I want to see his grandsons. That's four generations. What do you like to see four generations, Lee? And to know that you actually instilled in them the things of the kingdom. That's what I want us to come with, guys. But again, hear my heart. I don't want you to believe this way. If you want to believe, you'll fly away. Bless God, I hope you feel fly away. <laughs> but I want you to do this. I want you to be consciously aware of your God. And that he's called you with a message. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. I love what Damon Thompson said. Damon Thompson said, Noah spent 80 years building a boat for eight people. Would you spend 80 years of your life for eight people? Actually seven, because he was number eight. What's that? That's generations. That's not thinking about, well, how am I going to get recognized? But it's like, I'm going to do this because through those seven people came the generations to come.